And as you open your eyes, surprise, I'm not Marty. Um, so Marty had a, uh, a dear mentor of his um, that was very close to him and Cindy and the kids. And uh, he passed away, uh, I believe, over the weekend. And um, so he is in South Georgia um, with that family. They didn't have kids, so uh, it was just the wife that is left now. And so they're with them, grieving with them, celebrating that life with them. Um, and so our prayers go out to him. Um, and so I got the call yesterday at 4. Goody, you're up. Um, and, and so uh, I'm really excited about what God has for us um, this morning. If you're a note taker, I want you to write this statement down. Purpose isn't defined by perfection. It's defined by God's presence. Not his presence like what Santa brings, but presence, his being there. So purpose isn't defined by perfection, it's defined by God's presence. Now, the other day, I heard something, or read something on the internet, <clears throat> so obviously it's true. Um, thank y'all. Um, there comes a point in every man's life when he finally learns that he's old. And one of two things takes place in this moment. He either, A, begins to have an affinity for smoking all types of meat, or, <laughs> amen for some of y'all, yeah, or he all of a sudden takes a huge interest in history particularly World War II. So he either becomes a World War II history nut or likes to make a lot of pulled pork. Um, I would rather eat the pulled pork and not spend the hours making it. So the history buff is what I found out. Uh, that's how I found out I was old. But I've been a history nut my whole life. So I suppose I was born old. And one of the things that, uh, one of the things that has always hurt in being a history buff is when you find out things about people in history that are kind of the opposite of what you learned about them. And so you start to learn kind of the, the rough edges of people all throughout history. And to give you an example, Christopher Columbus. Now, as a kid, I, you know, I grew up Hearing, hey, you know, in 1492, he sailed the ocean blue and landed over here in the Americas, and everything was hunky-dory, and eventually we had Thanksgiving, right? Like, I mean, that's a few couple hundred years later, but, but like, that's, that's what we learned. But then, as I grew older, I, I start to learn some more things about Christopher Columbus, realizing, first of all, he's a terrible navigator, he was looking for the West Indies, which are on the other side of the world, and he landed here in the Caribbean. Kind of missed it there. Second thing I learned, Christopher Columbus wasn't so nice to the people he met. There was a lot of, like, genocide going on with Christopher Columbus. 
and all his guys. Not the prettiest picture was painted, or, or, or sorry, it was painted over for me growing up in history. It wasn't until later that I really learned all these things about him. But that's what's beautiful about the Bible. In the Bible, the characters that we meet, we meet them flaws and all. Every bit of who they truly are are laid out in Scripture. There is no whitewashing things for history. You get what you get. These characters are who they are. And so the story that we're going to be in today, we get to meet one of those characters. And this character's name is Moses. And so the the crazy part for Moses is the fact that he documented his own flaws. And so we're going to be in the the book of Exodus, and, and Moses wrote this book, and so he displays all his flaws right there for the world to see. And so we're introduced to Moses here in, in the book of Exodus. And to give you a little bit of a backstory, this is, this is where we find ourselves. The tribes of Israel had, had settled in the country of Egypt because of a famine in their homeland. And they end up staying there for a number of generations, around 400 years. And God's blessing is on them. And everything they touch just seems to become better and better and better. And at this time, you had, you had the ruler of Egypt, right? And his name was Pharaoh. And it just so happens that the Pharaoh that allowed the Israelites to settle in Egypt has died. And so this new Pharaoh takes over. And this new Pharaoh realizes that the Israelites are doing better than most of the people there in Egypt, the actual Egyptians. And he doesn't like this. So what does this Pharaoh do? He enslaves the Israelite people, forces them into torturous labor, and as if that wasn't enough, he then sends out this message, this decree, that all newborn Israelite boys are to be killed. So he creates this racial division, he enslaves an entire people, and then he commits genocide against God's chosen people. And that's just the backstory. Now we get to Moses. And so if you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. So Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, God's word says this, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that, she, that he was a fine child... She hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. 
Now, this Israelite woman gives birth to a, a baby boy, and she recognizes there's something special about this boy. Which I understand, all mothers look at their, their, their baby boys, and they, they recognize that there's something special about them. I like to think my mom thought I was pretty cool when I came along. But Moses' mom recognizes something in him. And so she hides him for three months. And when, when the time came that she couldn't hide him any longer, she puts him in this basket and puts him in the River Nile. Now, the interesting thing about this, this would have been a pretty dangerous thing to do between crocodiles and hippos, which are really fast, by the way. I don't know if anybody knew that. But just all this stuff could have happened to Moses as he floats down this river. Any number of things. And yet, there's a purpose in Moses' life. And he floats right into the lap of Pharaoh's daughter. And so Pharaoh's daughter takes Moses as her own. And so in, in a turn of irony, this family who has just ordered the death of all these Israelite boys now is raising one. And so we know that this baby's name was Moses. But then in true God fashion, God says, I'm not done making this story wild. They then hire an Israelite woman to nurse this baby boy. And lo and behold, Moses' birth mother walks right back into the story. And so she's hired to then raise Moses to, to nurse him as a newly born. And so we see this wild story begin to unfold for Moses. And so Moses grows up with this Egyptian education. He wore the finest clothes and he held power in Egypt. But all the while, Moses faces this tension. Moses recognizes that his skin color doesn't match up with his adopted parents. He knows that he's Hebrew and not Egyptian. And so there's this hidden purpose in Moses' life that God has been setting in motion in order to set his people free. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 says this. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that. <clears throat> and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And so Moses comes across these two fighting. And Moses strikes down the Egyptian, kills him. And then hides his body in the sand. Takes matters into his own hand, right? Thinking... I've done this great deed for my people. 
I've, I've come across these two people fighting, and I've, I've killed this Egyptian, and, and uh, this is good. This is good for my people. But then the next day, Moses goes back out, and he encounters two Israelite men fighting each other. And, and this spoiled Hebrew kid who's grown up as an Egyptian starts to lecture them on morality. And, and instead of thanking him for, their, for his wisdom, they call him out for murdering someone the day before. And so it turns out that this secret crime that Moses thought he had committed wasn't so secret after all. And Pharaoh hears about this. And Pharaoh now wants Moses dead. And so instead of owning up to what he had done, instead of facing the music, so they say, Moses throws up the peace signs and he's out. And he leaves. See, this isn't the story of your typical prophet where the prophet lived a a righteous life and followed God with, with perfect obedience No, Moses ran away from his power and position, and he was left with nothing. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like your life had a purpose, but then you made a mistake, and and somehow that purpose now feels unachievable? Or, or, Or maybe you felt powerless and far away from from the goals that you were wanting to achieve, that's where Moses finds himself in this moment. And so Moses flees. And eventually he finds himself at this well outside of this town called Midian. And he sees some women there trying to, to give water to their sheep. But there's men there that are preventing them from doing that. And so he takes on the men and and kind of helps the women out and in the process finds out that these women are daughters of a priest that lives in Midian. Not a priest of the Egyptian gods, but a priest of the one true living God, the God of Israel. And so Moses is invited over for dinner and we learn that Moses then begins this new life. He gets married, has a child, and they name this child, and the the child's name means foreigner, because Moses still, throughout all of this, feels like an outsider. And so Moses, who was one of the most educated and privileged men in Egypt, all of a sudden finds himself as a lowly shepherd. And so we see just the the stark humanity of Moses. Nothing perfect about him, but he knew he had a purpose, but the problem was that Moses was allowing himself to be the narrator of his own story. And he didn't realize that throughout all of this, God is writing a different story with his life. Moses had no idea that one day that he would help 
break the chains of slavery for his people and help be a part of freeing them. Because for him, his purpose was completely dependent on himself and not on the God that created him. And so for the next 40 years, Moses lives hiding from the Egyptian government, avoiding the the purpose for which he's made. And over the the course of those 40 years, the, the Pharaoh who had wanted Moses dead dies himself. And a new Pharaoh takes over. And so the Israelites remain slaves still. And we see in Exodus 2, verse 24, God hears their cries. It says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And so Moses is now 80 years old. And one of the most iconic moments of his life is about to happen. Moses is out in the wilderness with his flock. And all of a sudden he he sees an angel leap out of a bush. And this bush is on fire and yet it's not being burnt up. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you, just so you know what kind of person I am. If I'm walking out in the woods and I see an angel jump out of a bush that is on fire but not being burnt up, I'm pushing you to the ground and I'm running the other way. I don't have to be the fastest. I I just just don't have to be last. And I'm leaving you at the scene. But Moses is intrigued. And so Moses goes over to this this burning bush, and he has this encounter with the one true living God. And God asks him to to take off his sandals because he's about to enter this holy place. And then God gives Moses a second chance to live out his purpose. And this is what God says to Moses in that moment. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 6. He said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold... The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, 
that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So the, the, the creator, God himself, tells Moses, shows up, and explains to Moses that this is Moses' purpose. This is what you've been raised for. This is why you were spared. This is why you ended up at Pharaoh's house. This is why, even though through that crazy set of circumstances, your mother still was able to nurse you inside an Egyptian home. This is why you were raised in Egypt by Egyptians. For this purpose, you will now go and free your people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And Moses says, uh, heck no, I'm not. There is no way that I'm the one that is going to do this. And so he doesn't just say no one time. He says no five times. Let's look at those five times real quick. He says this in Exodus 3.11. These are his excuses. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In other words, I don't have the qualifications. I haven't lived the right life. I'm not good enough to be the one that is set aside for this purpose, God. And excuse number two. Exodus 3.13 he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And so essentially Moses says, God, I, I can't do this because I, I don't even know what to say. Like, what in the world do I even tell them if I show up and do this? And then his third excuse is this in Exodus 4.1. He says, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And so simply put, Moses says, I'm not, I can't do this, because they're not even going to believe me even if I show up and do it. And then his fourth excuse, he says, oh, my Lord, I, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant but I am slow of speech and of tongue. That's in Exodus 4.10. And so essentially Moses says, God, I, I can't be set aside for this purpose. I don't, I don't have the skill set. I'm, I'm not a good speaker. There's no way I'm going to have the right words to say. Like, what? I, I can't do that. I don't have the skills necessary to fulfill this purpose. And then the fifth one, Moses says this, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. And so essentially Moses says, Honestly, God, I'm really out of excuses. I just really don't want to do it. Just send somebody else in my place. And Moses doesn't realize it, but in this moment, his faith is being tested. See, Moses' story is one about obedience. 
And in this instance, Moses was being tested on his obedience as it relates to his purpose. And again, this isn't a story about a perfect person. This is a story about a person that's just like you and me, flaws and all. Nothing perfect about us and nothing perfect about Moses. But what Moses fails to realize is that his purpose had nothing to do with himself. But it had everything to do with who God is. And it wasn't about being perfect. It was about obeying God, knowing that his presence would be with Moses. Let me say that again. It wasn't about being perfect. It was about obeying God, knowing that his presence would be with Moses. Just like us, Moses had a past that was riddled with mistakes and he didn't have all the answers. Didn't have the influence over people maybe that he needed. He was unskilled. And honestly, he didn't have the desire to do what God was calling him to do. And so I look at Moses and I, and I kind of sympathize with him. I think, man, if, 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 if that's your thought process, then yeah, man, Moses, maybe you shouldn't be the guy to do this. But like we do so often, Moses felt like the task was impossible because he had made it, he had made his purpose dependent on his own strength. He was looking at himself to be the one to fulfill his purpose, not God. And so for every excuse that Moses has, God has a rebuttal. I love it. So let's, let's, let's look at those five real quick. Moses screamed out that he wasn't good enough. And in Exodus 3.12, God says, I'll be with you. Simply put, you don't have to be good enough. You're not good enough, in fact. That's why you need me, and I will be with you. Moses' second excuse was that he doesn't have all the answers. And God responds, he says, I've been with you. I am with you. I will be with you. Tell them. I will fight for them. Deliver them. And provide for them. God said, Moses, you don't need all the answers. The answer is, I will be with you. There's nothing else you need. There's nothing else you have to be studied up for. You don't have to have all the words. You tell them that I am with them. And then Moses makes his third excuse when he says that they won't believe me. And God provides three miraculous signs. The staff turning into a snake and a leprous hand being healed. And then the water turning into blood in Exodus 4 verses 2 through 9. And then his fourth excuse, Moses had said that he didn't have the skills and God says in Exodus 4, 11 and 12, then I will speak through you. You will learn. He says, Moses, you don't have to have all the skills. You're not the one doing this. I'm doing it through you. 
you don't have to have all the skills necessary. I'm working through you, Moses. And then the fifth one, when, when Moses just straight up said, no, nah, I'm not going, send somebody else. God says, all right, I'm going to have someone help you, but you're still going. And that's in Exodus 4, 14 through 17. See, when Moses tried to make it all about his weakness, he pointed out to God all the reasons why he couldn't fulfill this purpose. God makes it all about his own supernatural, supernatural strength. And even though Moses wasn't perfect, God had a plan for Moses' life. Moses' existence had a purpose to it. And so likewise, I say to you guys and to myself, every single person in this room today has a purpose in life. Whether you're one day old or whether you're up in the 90s and maybe hit 100, you have a purpose in life. And your purpose is not defined by your perfection. Your purpose is not defined by what you bring to the table. Your purpose is defined by God's presence and what He has already done on the cross. That's where we find our purpose. See, God has never seen a worthless person. God wants to be the narrator of your story. Moses tried narrating his own story. And we see where that got him. And finally we see him eventually let God take control. But God wants to be the narrator of your life. He wants you to understand that you have a purpose. You were made, I was made, to make a kingdom impact. Now we may not free an entire generation of people from slavery. We may not do these huge things that we read about sometimes in scripture. But every single one of us was made for a purpose. And what we have to ask ourselves this morning. Are we willing to walk in obedience to fulfill the purpose that God has called us to? Remembering that it is not us and our own strength that fulfills that purpose. It's who God is. And it's his presence with us that fulfills that purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are you are beyond incredible. You are beyond amazing. God, the English language does not have words adequate enough to describe who you are. God, I pray this morning that 
we as a church would be reminded that our purpose is not fulfilled by our own strength, but that our purpose is fulfilled in you. God, in your presence with us. So God, as as we leave this place today, God, may we be filled with joy, filled with an excitement, knowing that you go with us. God, will that joy and that excitement spill over into telling others about who you are. God, and what you do through imperfect, broken people. God, you truly do make beauty from ashes. You make incredible things out of nothing. You make the dead alive. May we go and shout that from the rooftops, Lord. We love you. We praise you. And it's in your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. I hope to see you back next week. Uh, Marty should be back. And, uh, and you guys will, will be able to listen to him. As I, I believe we still have one more uh, week left in his current series. And so I, I just want to encourage you all this morning. Know that you have a purpose. And know that God's presence goes with you in that purpose. If you have any questions, find me. Find another minister. We would love to talk to you. It's been a good day in God's house. I love you guys. Y'all are dismissed. Everything happens for a reason. But you don't know what you don't know